Well, good morning, everybody. I think we really have to get started this morning. It's something of a miracle to see everybody here. I don't know about you, but I didn't think I was going to arrive this morning because I came into the city and suddenly there were all these runners. And I thought, what is it? You don't know either. I mean, the, the Mercedes run is in February, isn't it? And I thought, I, I, sorry, what? World peace. <laughs> I could think of better things to do for. Right. How does that help world peace? I, <laughs> anyway, uh, the Mercedes, the Mercedes run is in February, and for a minute I did a double take. I thought, have I got the wrong month? Um, <laughs> you know, but anyway, so I had to go round and round and ended up parking. I don't know where. I mean, somewhere way away. And, and walked in because it just was impossible. But, um, did, but you managed. You're here. That's a, so thank you very much. It's great to see you. All right, let's pray together, shall we? And we can begin. Our Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together now. And bless us, I pray, as we work and as we study together. Help us in all that we do to grow to be more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for whose precious name's sake we ask it. Amen. I want to carry on this morning. Those of you who were here last week will remember that I looked at the second letter of John, the second epistle of John, which he wrote to a church. Uh, we don't know which church uh, uh, or the circumstances, but uh, it was to a church which was having difficulties of one kind or another, but uh, he wrote to encourage them and to give them some instruction as to uh, how to carry on in the future. Today we're looking at the third letter of John, the little epistle uh, at the uh, end of the New Testament, which was probably written to the same church at the same time. That's the impression we get from the contents and so on. Uh, but it is a different kind of letter, because whereas the first letter was written to the congregation, uh, this second letter uh, was written to a particular person in the church, a man called Gaius. Uh, we don't know who Gaius was, uh, and there's very little point speculating because uh, at that time, uh, lots of people were called Gaius. You know, it was a, it was a sort of common name, not perhaps like John, uh, but more perhaps like Elvis or something like that, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of it kind of carried a certain cachet with it, uh, because Gaius was the name of the imperial family, the Caesars. Um, Julius Caesar was a Gaius. He was Gaius Julius Caesar, uh, and most of his family and descendants bore this name somewhere or other, um, you know, among their many uh, different names. Uh, and what happened was a lot of people. Uh, copied this. I mean, they, they, they called themselves Gaius, either because uh, they were imitating the emperor, you know, they liked to sort of be in the good books, or uh, because they were Roman citizens. Maybe they, they became Roman citizens, um, and uh, if this happened, the emperor would be their sponsor uh, for citizenship. And so, uh, you know, they would call themselves Gaius, uh, like this. Uh, it would be kind of as if the 11 million undocumented immigrants in this country turned out to call their kids all Barak, uh, you know, in the next generation. You never know. 
Um, but that's the sort of thing. So the, who this Gaius was, we're not sure, you see, except uh, that he was a prosperous man. This is clear. Uh, he was a leader. Uh, he was somebody who, uh, who had resources and who used them uh, for the benefit of the church. Now, uh, in that time, of course, there were no church buildings. Churches tended to meet in people's houses. Uh, and houses were not what they are today. They would be more like compounds uh, very often, especially sort of r r wealthier people. There'd be a lot of outbuildings and so on. And probably some kind of cottage industry, uh, you know, going on inside the, the, the house. So the household was an economic unit uh, very often. And this is probably uh, what uh, Gaius uh, was doing, that he was running a business uh, from his home or he, or he lived on top of the shop, uh, you know, however you would look at it. Uh, but it formed a sort of mini community of its own uh, and therefore, of course, was economically uh, self-sustaining. Uh, and there are many people like this we come across in the New Testament. You read about Lydia, for example, and, uh, and Chloe, and people like this. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, whom Paul stayed with on various occasions, were probably in the same kind of category. Uh, you know, sort of uh, what we would today call middle-class people, sort of upper-middle-class people, but uh, these this businessmen, business people of this kind. And a very important constituency uh, in the life of the church because they were the backbone. These were the people who kept the show on the road, the people who kept things moving. Uh, and this is what we find uh, the, that John uh, says, you see, why he writes to Gaius, because he says, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Somehow or other, John had met Gaius uh, in the past. I mean, uh, it seems from this that Gaius may have become a Christian through John's ministry at some point. We don't know where, we don't know when, we don't know anything about this, uh, but uh, they had kept in touch uh, over time. And what has happened here is that people have come to, to John uh, and told him uh, that, that uh, how uh, Gaius was going on uh, and what a good person he was. Uh, and this, I think, is, tells us a great deal um, about not only about the man, uh, but about the health of the church, that spiritually uh, Gaius was somebody who really took his Christian commitment seriously. Uh, he was somebody who had been blessed materially by God, and he used his, that, that blessing uh, to help the church. The brothers who came were itinerant missionaries. Uh, again, we don't know a great deal about them, uh, but they were people who traveled from place to place and depended on the hospitality of the local church uh, in, in order to survive. Uh, you see, of course, uh, in those days, uh, there really was no banking system that we have today. Um, carrying money was, was a risky business. 
um, you more or less had to carry it in cash, and you know, to do that kind of thing would be difficult. Uh, and people didn't really have lines of credit and so on the way we have now. And so hospitality uh, played an extremely important role uh, in society. Uh, and uh, it was generally very highly regarded. And people who were Christians would sort of turn up, uh, you see, in somewhere or other, uh, and, uh, and seek the hospitality of the local church. But of course, from the point of view of the local church, uh, this was also a, a risky business. Uh, because, as you know, when somebody comes knocking on your door and you've never heard of them before, uh, you start to say, well, who are you? Uh, you know, uh, where have you come from, what are you doing, and, and so on. And we know, of course, that there were uh, false teachers going around. I mean, we were warned about this um, uh, in other letters. So Gaius was taking a certain risk uh, in inviting these people in. Uh, but he had enough faith in, uh, in his own uh, mission and his own beliefs to be able to do this. And, uh, of course, the elder John is writing to him to commend him for this, uh, that uh, he provided a base uh, for the missionary activity of these people. I think this is extremely important for us, because while uh, we uh, in the church today, of course, live in a different world, uh, to this. I mean, we, 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 our, our whole way of life uh, is different. Nevertheless, those of us who uh, are established, you might say, who, who have a, a base uh, as we do, uh, who cannot or, or do not um, travel the world, you know, evangelizing because we just can't do that uh, for one reason or another, nevertheless have a responsibility to help people uh, who are doing this kind of thing. Uh, because there is a place for this. You see, the, uh, the Christian church can never be closed in on itself. Uh, we can't just sort of uh, have a little club, uh, you know, where, where, where we collect together uh, and do our own thing and ignore what goes on in the rest of the world. Uh, every once in a while, people ask me they, uh, what the difference is between churches in the United States and churches in the United Kingdom or in Europe more generally. And what I say is this, I say that in European countries, and this includes the, the United Kingdom, the church is like the public library. Um, it's somehow a, an institution, you know, that, that's connected to the state, but nobody really knows how. Uh, they don't really know where the money comes from, but it's somehow there. Uh, they're happy to have it. I mean, everybody wants a public library. Uh, you know, even Birmingham has a public library, which is actually a very good one if you've never been in it. Um, uh, you know, it's a good public library. Uh, but people don't go there as a rule. I mean, you go when you're a kid at school. You know, somebody takes you to show you the library. Uh, and that's more or less it. Unless, of course, you're the little, one of the little group that lives there. You know, that's always there. And this is a bit of a problem, of course, because if you're a casual visitor uh, and you just drop in, you know, because you want to check something or, you, you know, get out of the rain or whatever it is, um, the danger is you're going to be occupying somebody's seat. <laughs> and the second danger is they'll tell you that, <laughs> you know, this is my seat. I have sat here for the last 60 years. 
And if, if, the worst ones, of course, are the ones who don't say it. They just look at you, <laughs> you know, we, and convey that message. This is what European churches are like, uh, you know. There's clearly an in-crowd, uh, and uh, if, if you just drop in, you're not going to be made very welcome necessarily. American churches, on the other hand, are like clubs. I don't know if you ever think this. People get together and they, they start a club, you see, and you have, uh, you have your rules and you have your this and that, and you just sort of decide what you want to do. And uh, I mean, generally speaking, there's a core ac of activities, you know, like Sunday worship and so on, which you can't really get out of. But then, you know, you decide whether you want to have a basketball court or a ballet company or uh, whatever. <laughs> and... Uh, and you just kind of add these things, um, you, you know, to your, to your church, uh, which, I mean, for European people, this is amazing. This is incredible. I mean, no, this would never happen. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to church to play basketball. Um, so, uh, you know, people do this, and, and, and this becomes part, of the, part of, the, uh, of the community. But whether you have the library model or the club model, I don't think it really makes any difference at this point. The danger is... Uh, that uh, you close the door. You know, it's fine for those who are members, uh, for those who are who, who are there, uh, but not so fine uh, for those who come in uh, from outside. And I mean, I, one of the things I do because I travel a lot, I actually visit a lot of churches, and so I get this experience. You see, sort of all over the place, uh, and uh, how welcome will I be? when I walk into the door of a strange church. And uh, it's interesting, you see, sometimes I can walk into a church, not this church, I but I mean, you can walk into a church, nobody pays any attention. You know, they're all busily talking to each other. And, and I can walk out, and sometimes I'm quite glad about that because I really want to go and have lunch and I don't really want to end up talking to people. So I'm not uh, too bothered, you know, about this. But it does say something about the nature of the community you know, that you're not all that welcome. And other places, of course, are very friendly. People sort of come up to you and, they, you know, they, 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 they want to know who you are and why you're there. And I always feel embarrassed when I say, well, actually, I'm only passing through and you'll never see me again. Uh, and you really are wasting your time, you know, welcoming me like this um, <laughs> because I'm not going to give any money. And... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, and I don't really want to be there under false pretenses. You know what I mean? Uh, that sort of side. So um, uh, and so on. But it's interesting to see this difference. And this is really what uh, what John is getting at here. Gaius was the welcoming kind. You know, he was the person who made sure that, that those who came into the church were actually made to feel welcome. Uh, he found out what they were doing. Uh, he, uh, he helped them in so far as he could. And this is commended. Why? Because this is what we are about as a community. We, are, we don't exist for ourselves. Uh, we are a mission uh, to, to others, all of us, you see. Whether we travel or whether we stay in one place, the very fact that we are here uh, is a witness uh, and it's meant to be a witness. People come to us, uh, you see. And the best thing that anyone can ever say about your church is, I went there and I felt genuinely welcome. You know, And people will only say that if you and I uh, 
are that type of person. Because how, how do we know who they're going to meet? You know, they walk in the door. I mean, they're not necessarily going to meet the, the dean or the, you know, whoever, the uh, presenter or whatever it is, uh, you know, or the cathedral. Uh, they, might, they might meet you, you know, and, uh, and the impression that you give uh, inadvertently, I mean, you're not an official greeter or anything, but just the impression that you give and the interest that you show to a stranger may be the lasting impression that they take away. So there's a lesson here for us all. Uh, to remember that this man Gaius set an example uh, for the church. It says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. See, this was his, his, was his ministry. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Christ, that is, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, the Gentiles meaning people who are not members of the church. Uh, and this is again very important, you see, because these p people, these missionaries, were not freeloaders. Uh, they weren't people who uh, you know, just went around seeing what they could get from whoever was prepared to give it. Uh, they were people who were working with a purpose within the context of the church. They had a specific uh, mission uh, and uh, it was to the honor of the church that the church would support them in this, that they weren't expected uh, to have to go beyond this, to have to go outside uh, and to look, uh, to look for help elsewhere. Uh, this is what we have to bear in mind too, that as a community, if we have people uh, that we are sponsoring, that we are helping, it is our duty to help them uh, and so that they are not forced uh, to, to look for support uh, elsewhere, you know. Uh, this is a, sometimes difficult. It sometimes it involves uh, sacrificial giving and so on, uh, but it is something that Gaius was aware of and that he was doing. And, and, and as John says, he said, we ought to support people like these so that we might be fellow workers for the truth. In supporting others, you are doing uh, the work of mission yourself. Then he goes on, there's always a downside to everything. Um, Gaius is the good example, uh, but then he comes on to this man called Diotrephes. And what does he say about Diotrephes? He said, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Woo! This is a rather strange thing. Who is this Diotrephes? What kind of person are we talking about? When you stop and think about it, you see, if Diotrephes... I mean, Diotrephes was clearly not a nice person. I mean, he was working against the system. He was, he was working against uh, Gaius, against the mission, and so on. But he must have been doing this in a rather clever sort of way. Because, you see, if it had been open and obvious, I mean, if he was standing at the door of the church and saying, you can't come in, uh, I mean, somebody would have noticed, you would think. People would know this. You see, they would, uh, and probably would have dealt with it. 
Uh, I mean, people who are open and above board uh, like this. I mean, generally, uh, you know, somebody takes it into hand because you can't, you can't have this. Why did John have to write like this? I think John had to write like this because this man Diotrephes was doing what he was doing in an underhanded kind of way, that it wasn't obvious uh, to uh, people in the church. You see, he wouldn't have had to say so otherwise. And you say to me, well, what do you mean? You know, uh, how can this be? Uh, you know, how can people do things uh, and not be noticed? Well, I suppose what he said and done was noticed in a way, but the implications might not have been there. And if to, to understand this, all you have to do is get elected onto a church committee. I don't know if you heard me say this before. I don't think I said this last week, but I'll say it this week. Um, there are two kinds of eternal life. Did I say this to you last week? No. There are two kinds of eternal life. You can believe in Jesus, die and go to heaven. That's the officially approved version. All right? But the other kind of eternal life is to get yourself onto a committee and say no to everything. You know... No, I don't think we can do that. Oh, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, we tried that in 1926 and it didn't work. <laughs> you know? These people, we call them the abominable no-men. <laughs> and, and they are indestructible. You know, you can poison their coffee. You can organize meetings at 2 a.m. Uh, you can fiddle with their GPS so they don't find the way. Uh, you can do whatever you want but somehow or other they survive. You know, they have no term limit. Don't ask me why, but uh, time and again, this kind of person turns up, you see. And their only purpose is, 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 is basically to say no to everything. Now, they may not see it like that, of course, you see. From their point of view, they may be protecting uh, the community. They, they may think, well, you know, we're, we're just keeping, we're, uh, we're protecting you. These, the, the, these people in the church, you know, they, they want to give their money away. Um, uh, you know, they, they, they want to spend, they want to do, do things that, uh, you know, are going to weaken our communities. Something like that. that may be the way they think. Uh, I, it's hard to say sometimes, you see. They just want to hang on to everything. Um, but they end up, you see, being very negative because if somebody says, you know, that, like the dean I'm just because this is a cathedral. I'm just going to say the dean suggests, you know, that maybe we should have a we should have an outreach to this or that, and they say, oh, no, I don't think we can do that. You know, that's going to that's going to take a lot of effort and money, and we haven't got the people. And it's all very well to have the enthusiasm, uh, you know, but when it starts raining and it gets cold, and that who's going to turn up and who's going to do this? And, and keeping it going on the road. And so you end up and say, well, you know, the dean, yeah, he's young, he's a bit enthusiastic, he's, uh, you know, he does that kind of thing. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm just, you know, taking this as an example. Um, when he gets a little more experience under his belt, you know, when he gets to my age, uh, he won't be like that, he'll have a bit more realistic, uh, and, uh, you know, just sort of hang on until that happens. This is what John means, I think, when he says, this man, Diotrephes, is working against us. Now, this is not to say, of course, uh, that 
uh, there's no truth in some of these things. That's the problem uh, very often because uh, heresy, you see, in the church, the sort of false teaching, um, is as dangerous as it is not because it's false. I mean, that's, of course, a bad thing. But because usually it's about 90% true. And it's the 10% that isn't true which skews the rest, you know, kind of distorts it, puts it in the wrong uh, way. But the 90% that's okay attracts people, it persuades people, and so they fall for it. Now, it sounds good. And so they go that way. And I think Diotrephes was this kind of person, uh, you know, uh, that he was somebody who was sort of working behind the scenes, uh, first of all, to make sure that nothing happened. Secondly, to make sure that those who uh, might be threats, because as we say, he's working against people and putting them out of the church. So if he sees somebody who comes along who might be a threat uh, to his position, uh, you know, or, or, or somebody who, who, who might uh, be able to persuade people that he's wrong and, and that the others are right, uh, he's going to find a way uh, to make sure that they don't get anywhere, you know, that they don't get elected to committees, that they don't uh, have any influence uh, in what goes on, because he doesn't want rivals in the church. And this can happen, you know. My home church in Cambridge, we had a man like this uh, in our church. This is this is going back away now. This man is dead, but. Uh, he, he, he was one of these people, he was a, a businessman, uh, quite reasonably wealthy, I mean, not fabulously rich, but you know, he had, he had money. And what he used to do uh, every year was when the, the shortfall in the budget, um, he would make up. So we, never had, we were never in the red. Now, we were a little church, not a big church like this. I mean, we had 200 people. So, I mean, making up the shortfall was a significant contribution, but it was for somebody with a bit of money. Uh, I mean, it, it, you know, it was okay. I mean, he wasn't uh, he, he wasn't going to be put himself into poverty because of this, and he could write it off in his tax and so on. So it was okay for him. Uh, but he did this every year. But of course, the downside was um, he had opinions, and uh, you know, when it came to things like uh, should we have a new hymn book. Mm, don't know about that. Should we take the pews out and put chairs in instead? Mm, don't know about that. You know, anything like this. Uh, basically, what Cyril said, that was his name, what Cyril said went because people were afraid that if they crossed him, uh, you know, he would leave or he wouldn't, he wouldn't give any money to the church. And in fact, you didn't have to guess this because Cyril was honest enough to say so. You know, uh, I mean, he would say, well, you know, he said, I, I don't think I can go along with that. I'm going to have to leave the church. Well, yeah. So, and, and, and this was a powerful threat. Uh, you know, if you want to pay your bills, you have to do what this guy says. And he was basically running the church from behind the scenes. Until one day, I don't forget what it was now, it's a long time, it's about 40 years ago, and my mind has kind of gone from it, I can't remember, but there was something that came up, and it was something like um, rearranging the furniture. 
because as you know in any church i mean you know the preacher can stand up in the pulpit and preach buddhism and nobody notices uh, but <laughs> but but if you move the furniture around all hell breaks loose you know it was it was this kind of thing and uh so there was something like this being suggested and Cyril said if you do that I'm leaving and I don't know what it was but I think people's patience just snapped at this point we had a, we've heard enough of this and, and they called his bluff they, so they thought you see except that he wasn't bluffing I mean he did leave and then everybody said oh you know what are we going to do and you know it was amazing because we all got together and we said well, look you know we, we've, we've got to pay the bills and Cyril's been paying the bills for years uh, and so on and so what are we going to do about this so people said well reach in the pocket put a little bit more in and do you know uh, we, we, we had a sort of prayer to, prayers thing and then we had a gift day and so on and we ended up with a surplus we had more money than we needed because people who hadn't been giving because they kind of figured, well, you know, Cyril will take care of that, um, suddenly started giving and his departure turned out to be a blessing. And it was only at the end we were sort of woke up and said, well, you know, we should have realized that years ago. You know, we've been allowing this man to, to pull the strings uh, behind the scenes and, and we haven't detected, you know, the harm that he's been doing. Now, I don't want to say bad things about Cyril because Cyril was a, you know, was a nice person in his own way, but he was just, uh, well, he was. I mean, he wasn't malicious particularly or anything like that, but he just had ideas, you know. He had his own point of view and, and he was generous in his, own, in his own way because he did pay the bills. I mean, you know, so good for him. Um, but he was using this, uh, you know, as a means of control and it had to be broken because if it wasn't broken, uh, you know, the church would, would, was, was really slowly uh, either declining or not really growing. And I think Diotrephes was this kind of person, you see, and that, and that John is having to put the finger on this and say, look what this man is doing. Stand up to him. Don't let him get away with it. You know, you can't let people like this run your church. But then he says, he, says, uh, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And then he says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. This is the third man in the church. I've got to stop in a minute. Uh, but I must say a word about Demetrius. Because most of us are probably in his shoes. You know, we probably don't have the kind of resources and, and get up and go that Gaius had. I mean, not everybody does, uh, and that's fine. We're probably not trying to manipulate everything from behind the scenes the way that Diotrephes was apparently doing. You know, probably not like that either. Most people are like Demetrius. Demetrius is the guy who, who, who's there, who helps, uh, who, you know, who's a pillar of the establishment, but whom the average person doesn't notice. Doesn't notice until the day that they don't show up. You see, I've talked about my home church. I'll tell you a little bit more. Because there are two people in my home church who are just like this. There's a man who 
uh, who comes every week and he puts out the books and he puts out everything and makes sure everything is just fine and uh, you know and, and after the service he stays he cleans up and uh, and everything else before he goes home and then there's a woman who uh, who comes along and she's very faithful and she makes sure the communion bread is there and the wine is there and the, you know the coffee for after the service she just and the rota everything is is happening in order neither of them ever stands up in front of the church says anything uh, you wouldn't know who they were uh, and unless you know for some reason or other you you had to do to deal with them particularly individually if you just walked into the church and, and sort of saw things going on you'd never know they existed in fact most people in the church only realize how important they are on the odd occasions when they don't turn up you know why aren't the books laid out why why isn't the bulletin ready uh, you know how come the coffee isn't 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 on you know at the right time and it's oh it's because Ruth isn't here this week you know uh, or it's because Nigel oh yes he didn't come this week so uh, Michael's not here so he's not done this and uh, it's when they're not there that their absence is noticed because you realize suddenly just how important they are and I think most of us are, are kind of in this position, you know, uh, that uh, we may not be very prominent uh, in, in the, the running of the institution, but the thing that we do, the things that we do, although they may appear on the surface to be unimportant, sort of, you know, the, uh, not very, nobody really notices, not very prominent, you don't know the effect that this may be having until you're no longer there and other people notice suddenly and they say where's so-and-so you know what's happened uh, and so on because you realize suddenly that this person who never says anything never sort of you know causes any problem uh, and all the rest of it nevertheless is key to the running of the church and I say most of us should, are in this position probably and this is where we should be uh, these are the people who who make the church run you see the, 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 these are the people who who, who count uh, overall uh, for the running of the uh, of the community and I would encourage you I'll leave you with this you know don't worry if you're not a very prominent person uh, and, and you don't have the resources to do that that's that's all right don't, uh, you know, try to be something that you're not. Uh, I mean, you can't do that, uh, you know. Don't try to manipulate to get attention, uh, you know, to run things from behind. Try to be like Demetrius, you know. Somebody of whom everyone says has a good word to say, someone who's clearly, uh, you know, uh, with the program, doing the right thing, cooperating and so on, um, maybe not terribly noticed until you're not there you know and then all of a sudden when people miss you they realize just how important you are and have been and that's what I would encourage you uh, to do you see to to play your part uh, not to seek uh, prominence not to seek control uh, but to seek to serve 
uh, in a way that benefits the community and be assured that will be noticed. You know, people, people who, uh, who care see these things uh, and, and you will be appreciated and accepted and welcomed for the contribution that you're making. All right? So I'm going to leave you with that uh, today. That I hope is an encouraging word. Uh, and uh, when I take this off, uh, my manipulator uh, will just have to uh, cut the uh, 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 cut it off uh, at this point. Uh, let's pray, shall we, together? Our Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together now. And Lord, I pray that as we go our separate ways, that you would be with us, that you would bless us, that you would keep us very close to you in all that we do, so that we might truly honor and glorify your holy and precious name. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Amen.